We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We got some super chats piling up down there. So let's get to this one from William Chesney. Hey, Brian, and thank you, William, very much for your super chat. Hey, Brian, out of Blair, Golden, Williams, and Zachary. So that'd be Jadon Blair, Dallas Golden, uh, Devin Williams, and Mark Zachary. Who do you think Notre Dame wants most to finish out this class? They still can't take all four, can they? Well, of those four, they absolutely can and would like to take all four, I think. Um, it'll be tough to get all four, but I, I do think that if, and I know that means they'd get four corners. I get that four corners and three safeties, but I do believe if all four of those guys wanted to come, they would take all four. I don't think they would turn any of them down. I don't think it's going to come to that, but they definitely would take Jen on Blair and all the other three guys are, are, are the same. Like as far as who they want the most, look, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about, about secondary recruiting and, and Notre Dame is truly in a situation where it's like, who do you want more, Dallas Golden, Devin Williams, or Mark Zachary? And the answer, basically, when you talk to different people in our name, is yes. No, no, no. You didn't understand my question. Who do you want more between Dallas Golden, Devin Williams, and Mark Zachary? Yes. The point being, they think they're all dudes, and they want all of them. Now, do I think that maybe one player's ahead of the others in certain regard? Maybe. But they want all of them. And now – Will that be realistic at the end? Find out. And realistic could mean there's no way all four are going to commit. Or it could be that at the end of the day, they have to say, hey, look, you you know, you've got these two. I know we're still recruiting that kid, but we need to take something over here. And now you can't do that. Those things could all happen. But they're they're trying to get all those guys, all of them, right now. We'll see if they're able to do it. For me, it's I mean, I, if I could make it work, I'd take all of them. Because here's what it comes down to, William. Who do you say no to? Let's say you get Dallas Golden and Mark Zachary, and they both commit. How do you say no to Devin Williams? I, I, I don't know how you do it. Let's say you get Devin Williams and Mark Zachary. There's no way in heck you can say no to Dallas Golden. Or Golden and Williams. How do you say no to an in-state kid that I know Notre Dame loves Mark Zachary? Loves. But... You know, to, but to your point though, like, but here's where you've got it. It, it can be challenging. You get seven DBs. Let's say they get all four. It's seven DBs. You've got five D linemen already. You're trying to add Damian Shanklin, and I'm counting D- uh, uh, Dominic Kulik in that regard. You want three to four receivers. You're going to bring in three to four offensive. Now your your numbers starting to get pretty big, and you've got like thirteen to fourteen kids tied into like two parts of your defense, secondary and a defensive line. It gets tough. It gets tough, but as of right now, they're recruiting like they want all of them. And that, that's kind of where they're at right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Justin Knox with a super chat. Thank you, Justin. True or false? We are better than every single team on our schedule next season on paper, and will be more than one regular season. And, and will more than one regular season loss be disappointing? Possibly. A, a, again, being better on paper doesn't mean you should beat everyone because there's always context, right? So right now you're better on paper, but you know what if you have a couple injuries? What if you know what if team? What if one team plays better than you thought? I, I I wouldn't have thought Louisville was going to be as good as they were this year. Doesn't mean that they should have lost to Louisville. They shouldn't have. But it just makes it more challenging. If they're 10 and 2 next year, I'll I will personally, just as of right now, sitting here on January 15th, yeah, I'll probably be a little disappointed. I I will. But there's man, there's just so much. There's just so, so much still out there. I mean, Florida State's not done adding kids. Louisville's not done adding kids. Texas A&M's not done adding kids. I mean, there's still schools that are out there trying to add players. There's somebody's going to have an injury between now and the, the time the the game's played. It just it depends, you know. It there's just there's still just January fifteenth is just a really bad time for me to say. This is how in nine months things are going to start to shake up because the rosters are going to look. Notre Dame, look, right now Notre Dame has to lose at least five more guys from their current roster. Well, who those five are could help, could impact how I think this team is going to be. I don't think it'll be one of those guys, but I don't know. There's still a lot of impactful portal guys out there that if they go to this school, doesn't hurt you as much. So like Evan Stewart was in the portal recently. And you're saying like, you know, I think Florida State's going to have a pretty good team next year, but I think Notre Dame is better on paper. Then all of a sudden Evan Stewart picks Florida State. And then, you know, the, the, the Jabbar Muhammad picks Florida State and some talented offensive lineman picks Florida State. Now you're like, oh, this could be a little bit tougher. Now Evan Stewart ended up picking Oregon. But I'm making the point that like when there's those kind of impact players out there, where do they go? What if USC goes on a run here coming, fo- coming down the next couple of weeks? And they land some big portal guys, and Caleb Williams announces he's going to come back. Well, you know, then then we'll see how it plays out, right? So there's just so many guys out there. It, let me finish the point, Brandon. I got you, man. I'm, I'm making a point. That's what I said when he was in the portal. He's not in the portal anymore. Um, uh, patience, good man. I'm just making the point that when there's these impact players out there that haven't made decisions yet, they could shake things up. And a week ago, I'm looking at Evan Stewart, and he's looking to like, I think Tennessee had ended up dropping him, but he's looking at like, you know, Florida State, and I think Texas, Oregon, some other teams. And you're like, man, depending on, on who he picks, it could impact Notre Dame. So there's just so much out there still that has to happen that that it's hard for me to just really definitively say this is what their record should be, or you know, this is this is how it should be. But I do think the one thing I will say for now, I do believe on paper that Notre Dame has the a better team than anybody coming back on their schedule. And there would have to be to me, some big changes for another school for that to change. That that's, that's kind of my, my take on that. Mark one with a super chat. Thank you very much, Mark. My hi, my son. And I love your channel. Thank you, Mark. Can you um, imagine a playoff game 
at Notre Dame, we have to have a tailgate for sure. South Bend native in Washington, uh, South Bend native. I, I don't know if you're from Washington or if you went to Washington, I'm very curious on that one, Mark, I'll tell you this, man, it, it's going to be pretty chilly at that time of the year. But, man, if Notre Dame is hosting a playoff game next year, we will we will be getting together, whether it's tailgate, meeting somewhere indoors. Definitely we'll do a Friday night before the – well, actually, the playoff game, whatever game – whatever day the game is played on, I, it's not a Friday night because uh, – let me see, college football playoff schedule – they have a it's a funky schedule. I know I know I read it last week, but it's a really funky schedule. Let me just go ahead and look at it. Uh let's see here for 24. So next year it will be the first round. There will be a game on Friday night, December 20th, one game. And then the next Saturday, there's three games. So it could be a Friday night, it could be a Thursday night, but whenever the first game is, if Notre Dame hosts a playoff game next year. We will have a, a a the night before the game get together, and we still may tailgate the next day. We'll see, but I I can assure you we will have a night before the game, like go out to dinner like we do for bowl games, uh, and then you know like I said we'll, we'll have to see. If I can get my parents because I don't do the tailgates. My parents do that, so I'll see if I can convince them to come. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to uh, to do that, but we'll see. But we will definitely we will definitely be getting together that weekend. There's no doubt about it. John A1, many of the transfer portal QBs have chosen their destination for 2024. Which QBs are a match made in heaven and which QBs made a risky choice? It's a good question. Let me go ahead and pull this up and pull up all the court. I can just so I can have it at least in front of me and we'll kind of go through that. So let me go to commitments. Let's go to actually, no, got to go to the portal page, the transfer portal. They have their own portal page. It's so crazy. All right, top football transfers. Let's go to quarterbacks here, and we'll go from there. Okay, so I'll just kind of go through this uh, player by player, okay? And I'll, and I'll tell you if, what I like about the picks, and I'll just go through a few of them. Number one, Aiden Charles, or Aiden Childs, going to Michigan State. Love that pick. He's following. I, I, I love that kid coming to high school. Ryan and I both Ryan and I both liked him a lot last year. He was a guy that we wanted Notre Dame to – to hopefully have some success with. They made a run at him after Dante Moore left, but he just wasn't he wasn't going to leave Oregon State because he wanted to play for Jonathan Smith. Now he's following Jonathan Smith to Michigan State. Love that kid. Decent athlete, but big arm, real good passer, smart kid. I think that was a great decision by him. Uh Dante Moore going to Oregon. I just I, I just worry that Dante doesn't have the the maturity uh to be a leader of a football team. I and mean, that's a big risk that they took, but they also got Dylan Gabriel in the portal. And and so you're going to have good play quarterback next year between the two of them. I understand Oregon taking that shot. If, if, cause if you can get Dante's head on straight, he's an incredibly gifted thrower, incredibly, incredibly gifted thrower. So I, I, I'm, I'm okay with you taking a shot there. Cameron Ward to Miami, like, you know, to your question, risky, which QBs made a risky choice. I don't think he made a risky choice. I think Miami's going to have some talent. They're playing the ACC. I think he's a risky choice for Miami. I, major, major red flags for him. Malik Murphy going to Duke, that is a big risk for Malik because you have a new coaching staff. You know, you're going to play for Manny Diaz. I personally, uh, to be honest with you, don't think very highly of Manny Diaz as a, as a football coach. He's a good defensive coordinator has had some really good seasons as a defensive coordinator, but, but a little up and down. You know, had had a really good year with, with, with Penn State this year. But I also think he was a pretty bad head football coach. So you go to Duke, you're playing for him. You've got Jonathan Brewers, your new offensive coordinator. Is that a good hire? I don't know. He was at SMU the last couple of years. They did some really good things. You know that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a gamble. What kind of town is Duke going to have around him? I, you know that's a risk for Malik, and I was surprised that's the movie made. Malachi Nelson going to Boise State is a great decision for him. If his head's on straight, it's a great decision for Boise State. I I, I think that was a really good one. Will Will Howard going to Ohio State is all going to be determined by who the new OC is. Uh, right now, it doesn't make sense to me. We've talked about this. I, I don't I don't believe that Ryan Day knows how to properly use a quarterback with Will Howard's skill set. If he hires a Dan Mullen type of guy, that that makes a lot more sense to me. I understand why Will Howard went to Ohio State. I mean, why not? Look at the success they've had developing quarterbacks and getting them into the draft, and look at the success they've had on the team, on the field. I totally get it. 
Riley Leonard to Notre Dame, great fit for both of them. Brock Vandegrift going to Kentucky, makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, for Kentucky, I mean, I get it. I, I'm not super high on, on Brock coming out of high school. I think he's a good player. I thought he was a little, little overrated, but he's got some ability. Uh, I, I, I think that kid's got some tools to work with. Uh, Daquan Finn going to Baylor. It just depends on how they use him. If they're going to be a really quarterback mobility, quarterback movement type of team, then sure. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I don't know enough about what they're running now to, to do that. Kyle McCord going to Syracuse, I think, made a lot of sense for him. I think that's a good decision. I, I, I don't know that Kyle has shown himself to be an elite Ohio State caliber quarterback. I think that one makes a lot of sense. No clue what Will Rogers is going to do now. Uh, DJ Uyunglele going to Florida State makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, I think it's a much better fit than some of the other schools he looked at. They obviously will use a mobile quarterback. They don't need the quarterback to be an elite, you know, read the field left to right and and such type of player. I think they they don't necessarily even need a quarterback to be super, super accurate. I don't think Jordan Travis was a super accurate quarterback. They're looking for more of a playmaker quarterback, and I think that'll fit a little bit more. Uh, DJ's game, in my opinion, than than some other options. So I think that one makes a lot of sense. From everything I've heard about DJ, uh, he's a good leader, good character kid. You know, does the things you ask him to do. Well liked by his teammates. So I think he'll 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 fit in well that way, in my opinion. So I, I think there's a lot about that move that I like. Do I think DJ is a move the needle for Florida State? They could go compete for a championship with him. I, I don't know that I would say that. I don't know that I'm there with that one, but I, Jordan Travis was not a very good deep ball thrower this past year. More like 18 to 58. They like to throw the deep ball though. I mean, if you go back and look at his, his tenure at Memphis and at Florida state at Arizona state, he likes to throw the deep ball a lot. And at Oregon state, DJ was 25 of 58 with eight touchdowns throwing the deep ball. Whereas, whereas, Jordan Travis was 18 of 58 and with, with, and you got to think about that. Think about who he's throwing to you go 18 of 58, throwing the deep ball for three touchdowns. And you've got Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. That's not very good. So I don't think Jordan Travis was, he wasn't that great this year, to be honest with you, but they didn't need him to be just run the manage the offense and make a couple plays. But I actually think they could be better at quarterback next year. He won't maybe make some of the flashy plays, but you're going to have a legit running weapon as at quarterback, meaning like designed runs. You've got a guy with a big arm that can throw the ball down the field, a guy that, you know, a little bit more durable. And, you know, it just, it's one of those things, man, where I don't know that town around him will be as good. It won't be, in my opinion, but I think he might actually be a better quarterback than Jordan Travis, in my opinion. That's kind of what I think about him, too. See if there's a couple others that I like. Tyler Van Dyke going to Wisconsin. You know, I, I think Tyler Van Dyke's kind of shot. Uh, Grayson McCall going to NC State. That's a good That's a good pickup for him. I mean, that's a, it's a system that fits what he does. They don't need an elite. Like, the thing about Grayson McCall is I think he's a very overrated player. I don't think he's super talented, I, a lot of those things. But I think he's really smart. I think he's pretty accurate. And at NC State, they don't need – for, they don't need Riley Leonard's playmaking ability. They don't need, you know, DJ Uyunglele's big-bodied running of skills. They, they don't need that. They need a guy that's going to make good decisions and is going to get the ball where he needs to get to. Uh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where where I see it. And so I think that one makes a ton of sense. I, I, I like that one. So, uh, you know, going down here, Nate Johnson going to Vanderbilt. I don't know enough about what Vanderbilt does. Uh, to, to really have an, an opinion on that one. I'm trying to find a few more of these guys. KJ Jefferson going to UCF. I think it makes a ton of sense for him. You know, he, can he stay healthy? That's going to be the big question for, for KJ. He's got to stay healthy, but, but I think he's a good player. So, and I know Ryan's talking about too, the Matthew Sluka kid from Holy Cross is going to UNLV. I don't know a, a lot about him, uh, but Ryan will just pull this comment up. Um, and Ryan says uh, Sluka to, is going to, is going to be awesome at UNLV. So, and, and I like kids like that to me that, uh, you know, you're going from FCS. It's hard to go from FCS to Notre Dame or NC State or place like that. Go to UNLV with their system. That's a transition you can make. And then, of course, the UNLV kid went to USC. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't say that I watched enough of him to have an opinion on that one, to be honest with you. So I, I, I really don't. 
Mark one, uh, here we go. Mark one with another super chat. Thank you, Mark. We wear IB hoodies, perfect tailgates, uh, in the South need Washington high school. So he went to Washington high school, grew up West side where state champs in football when I went there. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I wasn't sure what Washington about, but that makes total sense, man. So I appreciate you. And I do appreciate the fact that you got some IB gear, man. It means a lot. It really does. I appreciate that. And thank you for the super chat. Iden Benami, um, haven't heard much lately about Rowan Byrne and Taylor Taylor recruiting wise. Might need to ask uh, next show with the Ryan Ryan and all Rosalman. So ask Ryan about Taylor Taylor. Notre Dame is on him. I, I still think we're we're seeing the board sorted out a little bit, but with Rowan Byrne, Notre Dame has moved on. So he had a window where he could have committed. He chose not to commit in that window, and by the time you know, they kind of got through that window. Notre Dame had just expanded the board, and there's just better players on the board and guys that like Notre Dame that they got a better shot at. So they've moved on from Rowan Byrne. Uh, now they could always go back on him, but as of right now, Notre Dame has passed on Rowan Byrne. So he will not be coming to Notre Dame the way things are at the present moment. John A1, if you could choose any Notre Dame running back to run behind the two, 2017 offensive line, who would you choose? And yes, Josh Adams could still be that guy. So, John, I'm trying to find your question because I had asked you at the time if uh, – I believe I asked a follow-up question to that. And the que- the follow-up question had to do with um, – are you talking about like just like in the last – like the Brian Kelly tenure, you're talking all time. So, I'll give it twofold since I can't find your response. So, I'm not sure which one you're looking for. But I'll kind of go like recent history – you know, so so from from the Brian Kelly to now, who's the guy that I would like to see them run behind? Honestly, the guy that I would like to see run behind them the most is Audric Estime this past season. And my number two would be this is going to kind of be crazy. My number two would be the 2018 version of Dexter Williams, not the 2017 version because Dex was still learning how to how to you know just be focused and stuff. But 2018 version of Dexter Williams behind the 2017 offensive line would have been really good, really good. You know, Kyron Williams would have been good behind it as well. There's no doubt. I mean, he's a really good football player, but I really would have liked seen Audrick. So I just still think Audrick's got a little bit more juice as a, as a big play guy than, than, than Kyron had. And, and uh, you know, I think the speed part was, was important to that, but I think Dexter's 2018, Audrick 2023 would be my, probably my top two. Uh, the thing about Josh Adams is Josh was a great home run hitter, but it, it, like the Georgia game, the lines weren't real big that game and you needed a back that could make reads. Like, like if you were going to ask me who would I rather have against Georgia in 2017, Josh Adams or Kyron Williams, it's Kyron by a mile because Kyron would have been able to find those little creases and make those cuts and have the patience and the, and the quickness and the, the exceptional change of direction ability to find those holes. You know, Audric might have been better in that game, but I don't know that Audric would have been better in that game. Just over the course of a season, you know, it, it, I, I'd say Audric. But like in certain games, you could say, "Hey, if I could just had Kyron for that one game, uh, Dexter for that one game." But those those would be my my top options. Now, if you're going to go all time, like my lifetime, so from like '88 to now, man, I would have loved to have watched either. I mean, pick either one of your '92 running backs, either one. You can. Give me Reggie Brooks or Jerome Bettis, but I, I again I'm going to go with the home run hitter more. Could you imagine? Because we're talking about college versions, right? Not pro versions. Could you imagine Reggie Brooks running behind the 2017 line? That'd have been fun to watch, man. Really, because he'd have got lost behind those mammoths. He was outstanding, man. He was outstanding. That'd have been fun to watch. And then Benami says, did we end up blitzing more this year or last? Is it just me or is every game we were this close to a sack at least five, ten times a game? Yeah, I think the last part of your question, I didn't, they, they were a lot more disruptive this year. Where last year, they just bring all these blitzes and you're just like, dude, they don't come close to hitting home. There's a lot more pressure. Because like, I, I made this point on the board. I said, yes, the sack numbers went down, but they were a much more disruptive unit. And how can you tell that? Well, there's lots of different ways. I mean, you went from like 24 pass breakups to 48. Well, that's partly on your secondary, but that's also partly on, you know, quarterbacks getting the ball out too quickly and, you know, because of the pressure and it allows the DBs to make plays in the football. That's a part of it. You know, uh, you think of the first interception that Xavier Watts had against USC. Yeah, he made a great play on it to close on and pick it off, but that pick happened because the pressure on Caleb Williams forced him to throw off his back foot. 
He throws it over the tight end's head. If there's no pressure, he steps in and he hits that tight end right up the middle, and you've got a big play apps, you know, opportunity for that. So, you know, th- th- those are the type of things you look at and say, you know, the pressure made those plays. And then the other one was, I think th- this year they they gave up I think it was something like almost ten fewer in or in. They gave up like like ten fewer completions this year, but it was on like I'm gonna have to look it up. Like, give me a second. I want I want to look this number up because it 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 shows you what I'm talking about. So this year, Notre Dame's off defense gave up 195 completions. Um, no, that's not it. Let me see here. Yes. Okay. Here it is. This year's Notre Dame's defense gave up. Um, it's let's see 195, 32. So they gave up this year 37 fewer completions. But teams attempted only 23 more attempts. So what does that mean? It means you, you, this season, what you saw this season was a lot more incompletions. And so you see your completion percentage go from 58.7 allowed to 52.4 allowed. What's the big reason for that? It's the pressure. And so even though they don't end in sacks, they're ending in incompletions, pass breakups, turnovers, all those type of things a lot more. And then as far as blitzing more, based on the I, – I believe they blitz more. My gut says that. The, the data at Pro Football Focus says that. I did not measure that statistic personally. So I, I just go off of that. But, yeah, they blitzed more this year. It wasn't a ton more this year, but it was more. And it's because they were good at it. So, yeah, they, they did blitz a little bit more than last year. Yes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Donald Reed, Brian, I'm watching IB when it was only you and Vince. I live in Florida. Uh, Marcus Freeman is the best person that can take us to win that they want to, that they won't see it coming. I appreciate all support, man. And, you know, so you, so you were, if you listen to us all the time and you were here at the beginning, then you remember the conversation I was talking about the other day where I was talking about all the different backgrounds we've had and, and how, how janky some of the early ones looked uh, with the pool table and the fan in the background and all that kind of stuff. So a little bit, a little bit better now, I think, I hope. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate the support, but I right, look, he, Marcus Freeman, will he win another name? I don't know. I think he's got a chance to, but to your point, he's an easy guy to root for. There's a lot of guys on staff like that. You know, there's a lot of guys like, man, I hope I'm wrong about that guy. I'll, I'll, I hope I'm wrong about Al Washington when I criticized him a year ago. Seems like a good dude. I hope I'm wrong about Drew Rudolph. Seems like a good dude. You know, I, I always wanted to be wrong about Jeff Quinn because he was a really good dude. I really liked him personally. But, you know, you just have to kind of give your opinion. Marcus Freeman's very easy to root for. And if he can start to win, boy, whoo. It's it's going to be dangerous in their name. You're going to see them just start to really jump in recruiting even more. There's no doubt. Like if if Notre Dame goes, just say Notre Dame goes to the playoff this year and they they win two, just that's it. Two, they just win two, get knocked off in the semis. Dude, I'm telling you, man, Notre Dame recruiting is going to explode because kids are going to be like, hey, they can compete. This team can really compete. And that's going to be. I can't. I, I can't wait for that day. I'll just say that. I can't wait for that day. Rob Osgood says, uh, hey, guys, quick question or QB question. How would you, as a coach, deal with the upcoming season quarterback room? 
playing time and keeping guys happy in response to today's easy portal environment. Thanks. I, I wouldn't, to be honest with you, I, I'm not a big fan of, of doing things to, you know, deal with it. I, I, here's how I deal with it. I'm honest with them. I'm, I'm honest with them. Like, look, it's okay sometimes for a kid to transfer as long as you're honest with them. You know, you don't tell Steve Angeli something, for example, to make him happy to keep him here if it's not the truth. Because then he's going to end up getting screwed over and not take doing things that he might feel is best for him. Let's I'm just using this as an example because you lied to him. Hey, Steve, you're our guy. You know, when, when Riley Leonard leaves in a year, you're, you're our guy. And then you go tell Kenny Minchie, dude, when Steve, when, when Riley leaves in a year, you're our guy. And then you tell CJ Carr, you're our guy. You're lying to him. And, and I wouldn't do that. And I'm not saying Notre Dame's doing that. I sit down and say, hey, look, here's you're going to get the opportunity. Well, coach, how do you think I stack up? Well, look, man, you, you're going to have to improve in a lot of these other ways because, you know, these other two kids just have more God-given ability than you. So if you want to if you want to win the quarterback job, here's what you need to do. Here's the things you got to get better at. Here's where your game needs to really thrive in order to beat those two kids out. Or, hey, Kenny, you know, look, Steve's always going to be a year ahead of you experience-wise. So if you want to beat him out and hold off, CJ, here's where your game needs to get better. To CJ, hey, these kids are a year and two years ahead of you. If you want to beat them out, Here's what you need to do and be honest with them and, and tell them where you feel. If a kid's to say, coach, I mean, do, do you really think I'm that guy? And if you genuinely don't think he is, then tell them that be honest. There's no, look, there's nothing wrong with honesty. There, there can be, there can be things wrong with the manner in which you've delivered that honesty, honesty. Hey, I think you suck. Okay. You're a dirt, a jerk. You don't need to talk to a kid like that. Hey, you know what? I love you. I think you're a great kid. We'd love to keep you here, but I just don't think you're going to be that guy for us, whatever position. That, that good. It's going to hurt. The kid's not going to like it, but you're honest with them. And I think that's the big key. So to me, I would let all these kids know, look, right now we don't have an heir apparent. That heir apparent has to emerge. And all of you are going to get a chance to compete for that job. Riley's our starting quarterback next year, barring him getting injured. That's just where we're going with it. If you want to beat him, try to beat him out, then that's going to tell me a lot about you and is going to give you a chance to say, hey, even if you don't beat him out, you might be that guy that replaces him. So I want to push the buttons to really get these kids to compete. That's my big thing, Rob. That's how I'm managing the room is to what buttons can I push to find out what the compete level is of the quarterbacks in this room and then also the things that I need to do as a coach to develop their strengths or enhance their strengths and develop their weaknesses as a player or areas where maybe they're not as good. That should be your job. But the big thing for me about managing is I want to push buttons to find out who's really the competitive guy and or guys. And ideally, you'd get more. But as far as like keeping guys happy in, in the portal era, I don't care about that. If me being honest with you and telling you, you know, you've got a lot to prove to be a player is going to cause you to jump on the portal, then jump on the portal. I, and do what you got to do, and we'll go find somebody else because it tells me you don't want to work for it. That That's what it comes down to. So now if I tell you you can't play for me and you jump in the portal, I, that doesn't mean you can't, you're not willing to compete for it because I just told you you're not going to get a chance to compete. That's different. But I say, hey, look, you know, whether it's Steve or Kenny or CJ or whoever else, like, look, right now, Riley's our guy. And here's where you stand. And no, I'm not promising you anything. You're going to have to compete against that guy and that guy if you want to be that guy. And the guy's like, screw that. You know, I I, I want to be told I'm this. Okay, let him leave. I, look, in today's era, guys transferring is not always a bad thing because you're going to find out who really wants to be here, who's down for the struggle, so to speak. You know, who are the guys that are really competitive, are truly bought in? This era exposes a lot of that. Of the, Some of these kids aren't. Now, some kids are making a the smart decision for them, and I have no problem with that. But a lot of times, like, you don't want to compete? Okay, leave. Because if you're not willing – like, here's the thing. If, you, if you're not willing to compete against, whether it's Steve Angeli being willing to compete, compete against, you know, C.J. Carr and Kenny Minchie or Kenny not being willing to compete, compete against C.J. and Steve or C.J. not being willing to compete against Kenny and Steve, whatever – whoever you're talking about, if, if at the end of the day the kid's just like, there's too much talent in this room. I don't want to compete with that. I want to go to Rutgers where I don't have to compete against that. Okay, fine. And you're not winning a championship game with championship with that guy anyway, because he's not one to truly compete. And, you know, that doesn't mean that one of these kids is going to probably leave at some point in time. It doesn't mean that, that they're not competitors. They may have already competed and lost 
and now they're moving on. That's a different deal, completely different deal. I understand that much more so than than just, well, you're not promising me this, so I'm leaving. That's what I take from your question, and I'm just not I'm not playing that game. If you, I'm not, what I'm promising you is an opportunity. I'm gonna coach you as hard as I coach everybody else. You're gonna get an opportunity, but if you need anything more than that, then you're not my guy. You've you've already answered the question of can you be the guy here. You just answered it for yourself, and it, the answer is no. And that that's kind of where I'm at. So I have a difference of opinion on that it's with some people. I'm just I'm not in the whole convincing guys to stay like. Like if I have a kid that every off season, he's just, I'm thinking about leaving. Eventually you're just like, then leave, dude. I don't want to have to re-recruit you every semester to stay here. If you don't want to be here, then don't be here. Go somewhere else and I'll recruit somebody else to replace you. Simple as that. Next question is from Tommy Guns. Brian, have you checked on Styers today? Yeah, I checked on him last night today. And um, yeah, he was pretty ticked last night, but yeah, he, he's fine. I think his thing is just like, this is who the Cowboys are. Right. I mean, this is just same old, same old. Another year, same old Cowboys. And he's right. It is. Jay Wick, do you have an all-time favorite Notre Dame team or is it more of all-time favorite players over uh, over teams? No, I have two favorite teams at Notre Dame. And it's 88 and 93. Those are my two favorite teams. I mean, 88 for different reasons. 88 is, is more of because obviously it was my really my first year as a Notre Dame fan. I was 10. I had just kind of started getting into college football. Obviously, I was a Notre Dame fan because my dad was a Notre Dame fan. And, of course, they were great that year. And so I remember that team incredibly well. I remember so many things about that season, even though I was 10. The other one is not, I just love that 93 team. And, and, and you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons for it. You know, I was, you know, that, that my family was going through a really tough time that year. And and there was a lot of issues going on. And, and um that football, that fall football season was a bit of a, you know, an escape, right? So when Notre Dame played on Saturdays that football season, it was a bit of an escape for me. And it gave me something to be joyous about. And it was a fun team. I loved watching Kevin McDougal. And you talk about how your opinion of something, like I remember Kevin McDougal making a lot of plays with his legs. But then when you look back at his season numbers, he had less than 100 yards rushing. And it's like, Dad, no way. That's got to be wrong. And you look like, yeah, wow. Yeah, he did. But it's just I remember the three or four really big plays that he made. You know, I think he had like a long run against Michigan and, and things like that. But I just – that was such a fun season to watch. And and it gave, it gave me joy during the year where I didn't have a lot to be jo- you know be joyful for as a 15-year-old of what we were going through. And, and so uh, that was another really memorable year for me. Those are my two favorite teams um, for Notre Dame teams over the years. Archer 452, our resident Ohio State fan, says, Ohio State is currently rumored to be considering three names for offensive coordinator. Jason Candle, Kentucky OC Liam Cohn, and an unnamed NFL OC as an outsider. Which one would you least like to see as on the on the opposing? For me, it's Jason Candle. I, I really like Jason Candle as, a, as an offensive coordinator. I, I think he does some really good things. I think he's a smart guy. Him being a head coach. Uh, former head coach would be good. I mean, former NFL, an unnamed NFL OC. I have no fear of that because I don't know who it is. I I can't fathom. Okay, would I would I be afraid of? Not afraid because that's not what you're asking. But like, would I have concern opposed being opposed? I don't know who that is, so I couldn't tell you. Liam Cohen. I think Liam Cohen does some nice things, but but I, I think so far what Liam Cohen has shown me at Kentucky is that he's a really smart X's and O's guy. There's no doubt about that. But what he has not shown me is that he can really put together an elite offense. And and that's kind of that's kind of my thing is he can draw up some really good plays and and they run the football well at times. I mean, but but even this year, like, you know, they had that big game against Florida went, went for 329 yards. And then here's what they did the rest of the year after that. 55, 181, 72, 110, 95, 122, 83, and 92. Before that, 160, 135, 115, and 113. But then you look at 2021 was the OC there. Yeah, a lot more success. 341 against Missouri, 230 against South Carolina, 330 against LSU, 225 against Tennessee, 236 against Bandy, 362 against Louisville. So, yeah, real smart X's and O's guy, but there's a lot more to being a great OC than being an X's and O's guy. And to me, if it's Liam Cohen, it's basically you just hired another Ryan Day, a really smart X's and O's guy that doesn't necessarily know how to build a team and build a unit. Jason Candle, to me, has a much better grasp of how to do that. 
And so if they're able to convince Jason Candle to come there, that would be a great hire, in my opinion. Really, really good hire. Joe Billick, has the IB staff given free subscriptions to coaches at Notre Dame for the boards? If not, why not? Well, number one, because those guys make a, a snot load of money and they don't need me to give them freebies, number one. Number two, I've never really had a conversation with Notre Dame coaches about the boards. I mean, we talk about plenty of things, but not about the boards. And the other thing, too, is, is if you're a coach at Notre Dame, you have no business being on message boards. You should not have the time to do that. Uh, you'll have people you know that will read it. And if anyone at Notre Dame came and asked me for a free membership, I'd absolutely give them one. But I'm not going to go to someone and, and be presumptuous enough to think they'd even want a free membership, much less, you know, give them one. If 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 you're employed at Notre Dame and you want to have a membership of our board because you want to monitor the things that we say, all right, fine, just ask. I'll probably give it to you depending on where you are. But, man, it's like, dude, you, you make – millions of dollars a year you can't pay 4.99 a month for the ip memberships you can monitor what's going on come on man you know but um yeah it's just not a conversation i've had to be honest with you but i'd probably give them one if they asked call them a cheapskate and say you're, you're buying dinner next time but yeah uh i'll you know i'll give you one uh i didn't Benami was confusing your board post on clicking the article still uh that's not something i really want to talk about publicly i so um Reach out to me privately, and I'll explain to you what I'm looking for there. Just the process of of what we're doing. Next question from my den: With so many new players in the portal recently, especially from Washington, Bama, did we move to quick? Uh, did we move too quick on some players? Not saying that negatively on the players we grabbed, but just a thought. No, not at all. I mean, you can't say sorry, Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins. I'm not going to take you because I'm thinking that maybe in a month, maybe Nick Saban might retire, and then Kalen DeBoer might leave Washington to go to Bama. And in that instance, you know, we may want to go after this guy instead of you. You can't do that. You, 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 here's who's who's here's what our needs are, and here's who's available. And then you go get them. And if somebody jumps in the board late, in the portal late that you want to go get, then go get that guy. But well, first of all, there's not as many play, players that are that are in the portal that I, that, that I that I've seen that that you know are guys that are like, oh my gosh, I wish they would have passed on that guy to go get that guy. I don't, I don't know that there's guys like that right now that, that I'd go after. So I, I, I wouldn't really care too much about that, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you know, what you know, you, you know what your needs are, you know, when your needs are, are by, and you know, who's on the board at the time you go get them. That's, that's where I'm at. I mean, I understand where you're coming from hindsight, looking back on it. I get the question I did. It's a totally fine question, but just to me, you can't think that way. Here's who's out there. Here's what our needs are. That kid fits our need. Let's go get him. Like I, I, I'm not. If I if I knew I could have got Isaiah Bond, I, you know, and, and and I would have had to pass on Chris Mitchell in order to get Isaiah Bond. I'm not going after Isaiah Bond. I, I mean, he's a good football player. I mean, he had 48 catches, 668 yards this year. I think, I believe he's the guy that had that game winning touchdown catch against um, against Auburn. He's a good football player. Am I confident he's going to be better than Chris Mitchell? No, I'm not. And I believe Chris Mitchell's looking for different things than Isaiah Bond's looking for. Not better, not worse, just different. And what Chris Mitchell's looking for is a little bit more in line with what we want from a receiver and from a, a, a an individual in our program. Same with Bo Collins. So I'm I'm comfortable with where they are in their decisions and knowing that what they may have to pass up. Because I don't know if most of those guys would even look at Notre Dame. Because again, what are they looking for? They're looking for things that Notre Dame's not necessarily dying to give a transfer guy to come for a one-year rental in my opinion archer 452 where does their name stand on their current scholarship numbers well man look dude the, this is why you got to be on the message board we have a scholarship chart at the top um in all seriousness Notre name's at 90 right now so and, and and getting to 85 won't be a problem they're at 90 right now they're going to at least want one more so you could say 91 so they're going to have to lose at least six guys. I could point to seven or eight that you're just like, yeah, I expect that guy to leave, or I think he'll leave, or it won't hurt if he leaves. They'll get down under 85 pretty quickly, but or pr pretty easily after post-spring. But that's kind of where they are right now. David Carpenter, this is a couple of years ago during the offseason. You mentioned you might do something about teaching us, mainly me probably, what press coverage is and how to break it. Did you do that and, and I missed it? I don't remember saying that I would do it as an individual show. Maybe I did. Uh, but we've talked about it on shows before. I've talked about it on boards. 
we've talked about it before, but have I done like a full show on it? No, I, David, I haven't. I have not done that. Next question is from Paul Carney. Says in 2023, stop rate, big team has the top four. Notre Dame is seven. Could a variable that would skew this like pace of play come into play? I don't, Paul, I don't understand this question. Stop rate, big team has the top four. Big 10 is the top four. And stop rate, I'm not quite sure what you're referring to, where you're getting this from. Are you talking about the stop rate for um, like this pro football focus numbers? I, I don't I don't know kind of what you're referring to there. So I really can't um, answer that question. So maybe you could follow up a little bit in a, in a different area and I'll be able to answer that. But a, a, I'll say this though, if we're talking about stop rate, rate is a percentage. So if there's fewer plays overall because of pace of play, then your, your success rate still the success rate, right? Um, if you're, what changes usually from these type of things is like the raw numbers. So if you have a hundred of something one year and the next year, you know, there's 5% fewer plays. And if you have the same rate, you're going to have still 5% fewer of the raw number, your success rate. Maybe. So like take third down, for example, right? So if your offense one year, you know, you you have a 45% success rate on third down and you run, you know, you have 180 third downs. If the next year your offense works at the same pace with the same success rate, you have a 45% success rate. But because of the, the pace of play things and the new clock rules, you run 5% fewer plays, then you're going to have 5% fewer successes on, you know, third downs conversions and third down attempts. Your rate doesn't change. If You know, that's kind of, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Next question is from Gavin Harden. Where would it be an optimal landing spot, in your opinion, for Tommy Reese, LSU, Washington, others? I mean, look, the LSU one would make sense because he'd be going to a coach that he knows. But honestly, for me, if I'm Tommy, I'm looking at the NFL. Like, I, I think that's ultimately where he wants to be. The college game, I mean, the NFL is very volatile for assistant coaches, but the, the college has become that as well. I mean, you, you just went to the college football playoff. You won the SEC championship. You go 12 and one, you make the college football playoff, you lose in overtime, and you're out of a job because your head coach retired and the new guy wants to bring his own, his own people, which is totally fine. It's a tough business, man. Really, really tough business. So it's like, why not just go to the NFL? And then, because it's just as volatile now, but now in the NFL, you don't have to worry about recruiting and, you get summers off, do I mean, you get some or you get some of the off season off and all that kind of stuff. And might as well. That's what I would do if I was him. Uh, the college jobs. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think LSU would make the most sense because of his known relationship with Brian Kelly. Connor Pat with a super chat. Michigan winning a title is like finding out your dream girl is dating Gilbert Gottfried. That is a great analogy, Connor. I really like that. Yes. Uh, yes, you, you, your dream girl is dating Gilbert Godfrey, the late Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, man, that's a that would be tough. That would be tough. I'm with you on that. That that that's kind of how it feels, man. I'm digging on that. It's a good analogy. Good analogy, Brian. Would you rank Notre Dame head coaches? Secondly, which was who was better, Era or Lou Holtz? Joseph, I can't answer that question. I, I can't. I mean, I could I'll, not in any kind of. Uh, uh, object a subjective manner where I'm giving you my opinion because I mean era Parsegian stopped coaching in Notre Dame three years but two 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 three years before I was even born at least so I I really couldn't tell you I mean all, all I can do is look at championships and look at winning percentage and and to me you know when you when you look at the success that they had, I mean, Era Parsegian to me had a more successful career at Notre Dame than than uh, you know than than. Uh, hold, on, let me just pull this up so I can have some uh, some something to back this off of per, percentage college football. So when you when you look at the um, coaches, give me a sec here, folks. Let me pull it up from the coaches. So when you look at the, so I'll just look at Era and Lou, for example. So Era was at Notre Dame from 1964 to 1974, right? So that's 11 years, right? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. He went 95, 17, and four. Lou Holtz was at Notre Dame for, I believe, also 11 years, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. 
he went 130 and two. So obviously the win percentage for, for coach Parsegian is going to be higher. Coach Parsegian was also consistently good. You know, he took over a Notre Dame program that had faltered the year before he arrived. They went two and seven under Hugh DeVore. So you can't say that he inherited a better situation in his first year. He went nine and one and lost to USC at the end. Uh, so obviously that season was a pretty good turnaround. Won a title in year three, you know, went nine and one, seven, two and one, nine, oh, and one. Eight and two, seven, two and one, eight, two and one, ten and one, eight and two, eight, three, eleven and oh, title, ten and two. Where when you look at Coach Holtz, there's a little bit more volatility. You know, started off five and six and eight and four. Then they had that great six year stretch from 88 to 93, 12 and oh, title, 12 and one, uh, nine and three, 10 and three, 10, one and one, 11 and one. Two of those years, they finished number two. They finished number four one year, number six another year. But then he finished six, five and one, nine and three, eight, three. So there's just was more consistency from Coach Parsegian. So, but all I can do is compare the numbers. Like, but here's here's something that 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 uh, somebody who may think look, Coach Holtz is better is going to push back on. Well, Coach Holtz played against played much tougher schedules than what Coach Parsegian played against, just because of the nature of who was good. Uh, another counter, Coach Holtz was better against USC than Coach Parsegian was, who struggled against USC. My counter to that would be USC was a lot better during. Coach Parsegian's tenure than it was during the Coach Holtz tenure. So you could kind of go back and forth on this. At the end of the day, since I wasn't alive for Frank Leahy's tenure or Air Parsegian's tenure, heck, or I mean, or Newt Rockney's tenure, heck, my dad wasn't even alive during Frank Leahy's tenure. He was just born actually at the end of the Frank Leahy tenure. You know, I, I can't, couldn't really tell you. Well, here's what I know nobody at the Division One level has ever won games at a higher rate than Newt Rockney did in his 13 seasons at Notre Dame. Nobody. And the, the only person that was close is Frank Leahy. So Newt Rockney in his career had an 881 win percentage. Uh, Frank Leahy had an 864 win percentage. Of course, part of that was during his was at Boston College, but he, he went 20 and 2 at Boston College. He did pretty well. You know, but Frank Leahy at Notre Dame won four national titles. You know, Coach Rockney did not win four national titles. I think he won three. Yeah, he won three, 24, 29, and 30. Now, the counter to that is. But Coach Par- Coach Rockney passed away after winning back-to-back titles. So in, in Newt Rockney's last two years, they went 19-0, and won back-to-back titles, and then he passed away in the plane crash that offseason. So who knows how many titles Coach Rockney would have won had he had he not passed away in that, that, that plane accident. So, I mean, there's, a, there's all types of things that you can do and you can say about that, John, to kind of have that conversation and, you know, who's better, who's whatever. You know, Coach Rockney – had the best win percentage coach coach Leahy won the most titles comparing era to Lou era era had the better win percentage and more titles. I mean, here's the deal. They were all great coaches, Joseph, um, who was better. It's, it's hard for me. I can just give you the numbers. Cause again, I wasn't alive. I, I know I look old, but I'm not that old to where I was alive during coach Parsegian's tenure. So I can just give you the numbers, same amount of years, Coach Parsegian had more, had a better win percentage, more national titles, more top 10 finishes than Coach Holtz had. But Coach Holtz's six-year stretch from 88 to 93 was tremendous. And I think Notre Dame got screwed out of a title during his tenure too. I mean, they, they to me, it, the, the problem I have is the criteria in which you used to give Miami the title in 89, if you apply that to 93, Notre Dame wins the title. The problem is you applied the criteria in 89 to give Miami the title, and then you use the exact different, exact opposite criteria to give Notre Dame, to give Florida State the title in, 19, in 1993. Meaning Notre Dame, to me, in 1989, when you just look at the, the beginning of the season to the end of the season, if you just look at the entire resume, Notre Dame, to me, was a better team in 1989 than Miami was. They just were. In 1989, Miami that year went 11 and one, same as same record as Notre Dame. They beat number 14 Pitt and number one Notre Dame in the regular season. Beat number seven Bama in the postseason. So three wins over ranked opponents, and they lost to number nine Florida State by two touchdowns. Notre Dame, on the other hand, 
that season beat number two Michigan, beat number 17 Air Force, beat number nine USC, beat number seven Pitt 45 to seven, beat number 17 Penn State on the road, and also beat number one Colorado by 15. Miami beat number one Notre Dame at home by 17. Notre Dame beat number one Colorado on a neutral field by 15. And then Notre Dame had a bad loss as well, a double-digit loss to Miami on the road, which is 27 to 10, which is very similar to the loss Miami had to Florida State, 24 to 10. But Notre Dame had wins over one, two, three, four, five, six top 25 teams. Miami had wins over three top 25 teams. And if you really want to start looking into the to records, keep in mind that Virginia, who Notre Dame beat in the season opener, was unranked but finished the year ranked 18th in the AP poll. That's another team they beat, and they beat them bad. They beat them convincingly, 36 to 13. So beat number 17 Air Force on the road by two touchdowns. As I said, beat Pitt. The USC game was competitive. Beat Penn State on the road. Uh, seven, number 17 Penn State on the road by 11. So not only did they win, but they had convincing wins. And and so and and you had head to head, right? So obviously Miami beat Notre Dame, but Notre Dame beat Pitt 45 to 7. Miami beat Pitt 24 to 3. Right. So you had that head to head. So you had different things you could look at. Miami 1989 beat Michigan State 26 to 20. Notre Dame beat Michigan State 21 to 3. So I mean, you know, outscored them there. So I mean, there's all these things you can point to, but the fact of the matter is. You changed the criteria. In 89, you said, hey, it's the head-to-head. Yeah, I know Notre Dame had a way better resume. And Notre Dame was the way more dominant team and played a much tougher schedule than Miami. Beat a number one team. Notre Dame beat a number one team late in the year, right? Miami beat number one Notre Dame last game of the regular season. Notre Dame beat number one Colorado in the bowl game. So you look at the resume. Yeah, Notre Dame's – but head-to-head, Miami won head-to-head. So Miami gets the title. Okay, cool. 1993. Notre Dame should have won the title based on your criteria that you set forth to give Miami the title over Notre Dame in 89. So I, although Coach Holtz only got one title, I think he got screwed out of it, to be honest with you. I think he should have he should have two. If you want to give him 89 or you want to give him 93, I don't care which one, but he should have got one of those two, in my opinion. But even if that happens, then you start comparing him and Coach Parsegian, and Coach, Par, or Coach Parsegian still has the more consistent tenure. Because I mean, they were top ten every year, but like, like when he when he got rolling, I think let me pull it up again. I think they were top ten in every year, but one down the stretch. Let me just pull Coach Parsegian's uh, record up again, real quick. Give me one second. Um, era Parsegian. All right, so Coach Parsegian had Parsegian had. Let's see here. His last so he was at Notre Dame eleven years. Had two years they finished outside the top 25. In 1971, they finished 13th. In 1972, they finished 14th. And then the next year went ranked number one, where Coach Holtz had multiple years outside the top 10, including a couple years they didn't even finish ranked. So again, circumstances are different, but that's that's kind of how that conversation goes. So so good question, but it's just it's so hard for me to compare those two programs. And somebody asked, uh, Ryan, I'm going to bring up that question for Patrick Fleming at the end. I'm just going to pull that one up here real quick. Cause it's comparable to this Patrick Fleming thought question. Who was better Parsegian and Northwestern or Holtz at Arkansas? I mean, that's another one of those, those, those conversations that I just, that's so far be- before my time that it would be hard for me to answer that question now. So I'm going to rely on, on, on what I, you know, conversation I've had with Lucy, the great, the late great Lucy Moji about that. And and basically what his his point was, like winning at Northwestern at that time, even going 500 at that time, was a very impressive accomplishment. Very impressive accomplishment. So if you actually look at like Northwestern and and like Northwestern football coaches before Carts Parsegian got there, I'm actually going to pull it up here real quick. Let me find out. Let me see here. Coach Parsegian, let me go here. Let's pull this up. This is a really cool resource. So let's go to – Northwestern football coaches before Coach Parsegian. So you had Lou Saban was there for a year. You had Bob Voits was there for several years before that. So if you go back and look at the – so ERA took over in 1956. If you look at the 30 years before that, Lou Saban spent one year at Northwestern, and they went 08 and one 
Uh, Bob Voigt was at Northwestern from 1947 to 1954. They went eight and two one year, six and three, five and four, and then they had a losing record every other year. You had Pappy Waldorf was there during that stretch at Northwestern. He was there from 1935 to 1946. So that's a that's what like 12 years. They had a seven and one record, a four two and two record, a six and two record, a five and three record, a six and two record. And then a lot of 500 or sub 500 records, not, not a ton of great success. And then Dick Hanley was there from 1927 to 1934 Had back-to-back years of seven, one and seven and one and seven, one and one, and then four and four, five and three, six and three, one, five and two and three and five. So like not a ton of great success. And then you look at what coach Holtz took over at Arkansas. He took over for Frank Broyles two years before he took over for Frank Broyles. They were in the top 10 and went 10 to two played in the cotton bowl. Arkansas won the 1964 national championship from 1959 to 1965. uh, Arkansas finished in the top 10 in all but one year. And then they also finished in the top 10 in 68, 69. They finished 11th and 70. And then they finished uh, seventh in 1960, 75, two years before coach Holtz took over and coach Holtz did a great job his first two years went 11 and one, nine, two and one and 10 and two. But then his last four years, they went seven and five, eight and four, nine, two and one, and six and five. So, you know, but but then you look at Coach Parsegian in Northwestern, and he went five hundred. It's five hundred there. His last two years, they went seven and two and five and four. He had a five and four record, a six and three record, a five and four record. At two years, they finished in the top twenty-five. He went thirty-six, thirty-five and one, twenty-two, thirty-one and one in the Big Ten. But if you if you listen to Coach to Lou Samoji talk about it, Lou Samoji will say, you know. Boy, like winning at Northwestern at that time was really hard to do. Like going 500 in Northwestern was a great coaching job. I don't know that anyone would say that about being at Arkansas. So that was the argument he would make. Now, I don't, I don't, I can't answer that because I never saw any of those teams play. I can just look at the data. And, and, and a lot of the ways I like to compare coaches is what did you do before and what did you do after the people that came after you? And and so that's always something that I look at. And, and Lou Holtz didn't necessarily have success that was greater than the coach that he replaced. And the coach that replaced him, Ken Hatfield, went seven, four, and one, ten and two, nine and three, nine and four, ten and two, and ten and two. So Ken Hatfield actually did better at Arkansas than Lou Holtz did. They say, well, you know, Coach Holtz laid the foundation, but then Frank Burroughs laid the foundation for him. So just based on all the data, I would I would probably go with Coach Barsegian in that one. But it's hard for me to really know. I do. I. I, I don't know that he would ever. He ever said this. But I would. Argue, I would think, based on my conversations, that Lou, that Lou Samoji would agree that the job Parsegian did, Coach Parsegian did at Northwestern, was a little better than the job Coach Holtz did at Arkansas over the course of their entire tenures. Now, you know, obviously, Coach Holtz had that that one great year, um, on, on, with you know when he was the head football coach at at. Uh, at Arkansas. So I'm actually going to try to pull this up here real quick. Hold on one second. Let's see. Lou Holtz pull this up here. So what was it? His second year at Arkansas? Uh, yes. First year at Arkansas, they won the orange bowl. So that, that year was really good, but top to bottom, Ken Hatfield had just consistently better seasons in my opinion.
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.